We're sharing stories about why cities are great and how they can work better. Your host is Ryan Holywell, and this is The Urban Edge, produced by Rice University's Kinder Institute for Urban Research. That's right. This is Ryan Holywell with the Kinder Institute for Urban Research here on the beautiful Rice University campus, and I am joined by the Kinder Institute's writer extraordinaire, Leah Binkovitz. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Well, thank you so much for joining us here in the studio today. Really excited to speak with you about a new project you've started for the Kinder Institute's Urban Edge blog called Housing of Houston. So tell us a little bit about what you've been working on. Right. So the series is going to be every month, and the idea is to look at what it means to call Houston home. We're in the middle of this boom, which even though we've had a little bit of an oil slump, Houston is still growing. Um, You can see signs of construction all across the city. But for people who actually live here and people who are moving here, how do they make a home here in Houston? So in the the first um, installment that came out, we look at youth homelessness and issues around that, and specifically a rapid rehousing program that for the first time is going to be targeted to their needs, um, uh, different from the adult homeless population. And um, in the second installment, we look at a um, home ownership program that's aimed at helping to get uh, low-income first-time home buyers into homes around Houston. And it's targeted to specific neighborhoods, so it's also tied into revitalization efforts. Um, so those are kind of the, the kickoff for the series, but we're also going to look at everything from um, refugee resettlement, which is a big issue here in Houston, to um, eviction um, and everything in between. The stories are published the second Monday of every month. You can access them at housingofhouston.com. Tell me a little bit about kind of what inspired you to start this project. Why are we looking at the issue of housing in Houston right now? I think, um, you know, I've covered a, a variety of topics and it always seems to come back to the neighborhood level. It always seems to come back to your home and, and what you call home and how you make it your home. Um, and housing is such a critical issue before anything else, before any sort of job program can take effect, before any sort of um, economic revitalization program can take effect, you really have to have um, stability in, in people's lives in terms of their housing. So I wanted to start at that and look at all the different ways that people um, try to get that. So it's kind of the idea of you've got to start with the base. It's hard to accomplish other goals for the city if people don't have a stable, comfortable, affordable place to lay their head at night. Right. It's such a basic need. And especially as Houston is in the middle of this boom, I mean, you have um, concerns about gentrification, longtime communities getting pushed out. You have sort of uh, new populations coming in and redefining what Houston is all about. So that that core unit, the housing unit, is kind of at the center of that drama. So tell us about the first story in the Housing of Houston series you published. Uh, it was very poignant. Uh, I know when I was reading it, uh, I actually got a little bit choked up about it. Uh, tell us about the issue you were covering and, and the young woman who you followed in this story. Yeah, so the story is about Lala, a 19-year-old um, from Houston, And uh, when I met her at a homeless youth center um, run by Salvation Army, she was she was homeless and she had been for several months and she was kind of still trying to make a go of it. You know, she had met another um, young woman on the streets and they were engaged and she seemed pretty positive about her her outlook. And she was specifically excited to get enrolled in this new housing program. Um, And it was part of um, an effort to get 
rapid rehousing expanded throughout the city. And so they started that effort um, in 2015, and it's, it has already had some pretty good returns. I think more than 1,000 people um, have been helped through the program so far. But what I was told, talking with service providers, is that there's really a different set of needs for young people um, when you're talking about getting them off the street quickly and into housing. They need a little bit more support. You need um, caseworkers who have fewer kind of clients per caseworker so they can really focus on providing that support. Um, you know, it's going to be the first time for a lot of them that they're living on their own, managing rent and things like that. And through this program, the rent is coming from, you know, for example, the Salvation Army or whoever's helping get them that housing. But, you know, they have to manage getting to work, all of these sort of life skills have to be part of that package. Um, so it isn't just about the housing for youth. Um, so she was hopeful that she was going to get one of the early sort of apartments to come online. And actually the way that it works is they they get the funds and then they search for apartments throughout the, the city that, that are going to be affordable for them. Um, and that's becoming sort of increasingly difficult, of course, as, as the um, gentrification continues around downtown. But... Um, you know, she she was hoping she could get a job that she would she would get some of the funding, but the way that it's worked out for her um, isn't isn't what she was thinking. And in fact, she last we checked, she wasn't able to get that housing. She's still on the wait list and had actually left Houston trying to see what she could make somewhere else. So. so tell me a little bit about the rapid rehousing model, something that Houston's pursuing and, and really lots of communities across the country are pursuing. It's shown some successes. Uh, obviously, it hasn't worked out for everyone, but uh, it, it seems to be working in some ways. Yeah, the idea is just that, again, before you can focus on anything else, um, you know, you can do as much sort of skills training and helping them find job, you know, applications and stuff like that. But before anything else, you have people need housing. They need they need to have their basic needs met. Um, and housing is the start of that. So, you know, I was talking with Rafael Sarango from Salvation Army, and he's telling me, you know, how can you get to a job interview if you don't even have a place to shower, if you don't have a place to plug in your phone to charge to have your alarm? I mean, just all of those things that that you you need that um, stability before you can get your GED or whatever step needs to come next in terms of reaching financial independence. Um, and so rapid rehousing aims to do that, to get people quickly into these units. You you will um, The rent will be provided for a certain amount of time, um, usually is the way that it works. And it, it's alongside other models, permanent supportive housing for people who kind of need longer term services, whether, you know, if it's a disability or um, if you're struggling with some sort of addiction or something like that, you'll need more um, sort of services targeted to you. But rapid rehousing, the basic idea is let's get you into housing. You wrote in your article that uh, homeless youth are in some ways uh, more resilient than other, uh, other homeless people. Uh, and in some ways, that resilience has historically uh, worked against them as they've tried to get uh, support from nonprofits, government, etc. Explain that dynamic a little bit. Yeah, homeless youth, they often don't show up in those annual counts that cities do um, because they aren't as apparent on the street. You know, if you see a, a kid on the street walking around, sometimes it's harder to identify whether or not they're homeless versus um, an adult. And they tend to kind of find those in-between ways to get by. So they'll crash on a friend's couch or maybe stay with a relative for a little bit. But at their core, they, they don't have any, you know, at the heart of it, they don't have somewhere to stay. And so they are homeless, but they don't consider themselves homeless often. 
And so that can make it hard for service providers because they have to show, in order to get you know certain funding, they have to show that the individual is indeed homeless, has either been staying at a shelter or um, or like under a bridge or something like that. So if they're staying at a friend's house, that doesn't count. And so they kind of have to sometimes do a little bit of work around in order to get that funding for youth. And it's a lot more, I should add, it's a lot more dangerous um, often for youth to be out on the streets. They're vulnerable to all sorts of um, you know, terrible things. And, and many of them will engage in prostitution, things like that, to, to try to find a place to stay for the night. So... Tell us more about the young woman who you featured in your story. Uh, she ultimately was unable to get the housing uh, and left Houston. What was she doing to get by uh, while she was in town? And how how typical is her story of homeless youth in Houston? Yeah, so in some ways, um, she had a common story. She um, had been through a lot as a child. Her mother had been in jail, um, so she was raised largely by her grandmother. Then her, when her mother came out, she went to stay with her mom, but that was sort of a tenuous uh, relationship. And uh, eventually when her mother found out that she was lesbian, she said that that created enough tension to the point where she had to leave. She didn't feel comfortable in the house anymore. And that's I think that's something that you do find uh, as kind of a common story is um, particularly gay, lesbian, bisexual youth, transgender youth, um, do end up on the streets. Either they're kicked out or it's, you know, it's not a comfortable place for them to be anymore at home. Um, so they're kind of overrepresented in the population. One way that she was unique, she hadn't actually finished um, high school. So she had kind of been like shuttled around as her mom was moving around trying to find her roots after coming out of um, jail. You know, she was going from one high school to the next and each of them had their own academic struggles. These weren't great places where she was landing and they really didn't have the um, you know, she wasn't able to connect with teachers or mentors or anyone who was really going to help her through that process. So by the time she had transferred to her fourth high school, you know, she was several grades behind where she should have been. And they weren't able to get her transcripts from the last place that she had been, a, a charter school that the district kind of cut ties with, and they were under investigation and all this sort of stuff. So she, she she just dropped out. It wasn't worth it to her to keep trying and be so behind, and it didn't seem like the finish line was getting closer. But actually, um, a study from some researchers who did their own, it's called Youth Count, um, they found that most homeless youth in Houston actually have graduated high school. So that's not actually a challenge. And that's something for service providers to keep in mind. Often they say, oh, they need to finish their GED. And, and that is something that many youth are going to need. But that's not from the research. That's not a majority of the kids. That's not the only problem. They have other sort of sy- systemic needs. Right. And it's a lot of it. Um, talking with, uh, again, Rafael Sarango at Salvation Army, you know, they, they need a lot of that emotional support. They need sort of just um, basic grounding and in, in how to live on their own. And they've had to, and like you were saying, there is a resiliency. They've had to grow up and take on a lot of responsibilities in many cases before before they were ready. So do we have a sense of how big the homeless youth population in Houston is, and do we know where it's trending? Okay, so um, again, because it's kind of a hard population to account, there are a lot of different um, estimates out there. So the youth count report that I referenced earlier um, from University of Houston, they reference a bunch of different numbers. So one is that annual point-in-time count where volunteers go out and they just visibly count how many people they can see on the streets, and that's used to create an annual estimate. And that's done by the Coalition for um, the Homeless. And that 
estimate, um, it's around, you know, 400, 450 um, youth ages 18 to 24 were counted as being homeless. But that compares to um, the Harris County Homeless Management Information System. They have their own data collection and they have, you know, more than 2,000 youth ages 18 to 21 who are using homeless services. Then you have the individual providers like Covenant House, which is the largest Harris County emergency shelter, um, and they serve youth 18 to 21, and they have over 3,000 youth. So it really varies depending who you ask. Um, But I know that for the Salvation Army, their Young Adult Resource Center, where they're processing all of these rapid rehousing um, cases right now, they've seen up to 70 people a day come in asking for help with this. So I guess uh, at at the end of the day, it's probably no surprise that uh, a population that is mobile, uh, is uh, in some ways uh, have have very unstable uh, personal situations or living personal situations, no surprise that it's hard to get a count of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, pretty notoriously difficult for a lot of cities. So you mentioned earlier you spent a lot of time speaking with an official from the Salvation Army who worked closely with uh, this population. What's his outlook? Is he optimistic that we're finding uh, new and better ways of serving this group? Or or is he worried that uh, in the long term, it's going to be more of the same? He is a tireless advocate. He used to be a science teacher, so he kind of has that classroom optimism about him all the time. And I think that um, the rapid rehousing effort in particular, I think he sees as a very solid step in the right direction. And they've already been able to to house um, some people, including, you know, a single mom with um, multiple kids. So he thinks that this is definitely the step forward. But you know, like as in the case of Lala, she wasn't able to wait. She left town to try her chances somewhere else. There's a a huge fight ahead. And um, Harris County, in his eyes, you know, he kind of kept repeating, just isn't prepared to deal with a number of youth who need help. For example, they don't even have the one of the big um, sort of roadblocks getting this rapid rehousing effort off the ground is simply that there aren't enough caseworkers who handle youth in particular. So they have to be um, other agent, other service providers are now adding caseworkers and hiring and training. But that's you know, that, that's one basic infrastructure thing that's not in place. So there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, before we wrap it up, why don't you give us a preview of the second installment of your Housing of Houston series? What are you going to be publishing this month in January? So the second installment looks at a home ownership program that is funded through the federal government that the city does to help low-income first-time home buyers purchase their uh, first home. So it's a I feel good story in a lot of ways. Um, you know, a woman who otherwise wouldn't have been able to buy a home is, and she can provide for her kids. But there, of course, are some um, limitations to the, to the um, program. So, for example, they can only operate in certain neighborhoods that they've deemed um, as in need of revitalization. So she grew up in Third Ward. She wanted to stay there where her mother is. And she's now living in Sunnyside. And her house actually has been broken into. She's not really happy um, with the location. She's happy with the house, but, you know, the location leaves something to be desired. So the program has definitely shown some promise helping people get their first home, but there are some some kinks to be worked out. Well, thank you for joining us here in the studio. That is Leah Binkovitz, staff writer with the Kinder Institute. Thank you for having me. And again, her year-long series is called Housing of Houston, exploring the ways people define home here in the country's fourth biggest city. You can see every new article Leah writes in the series at housingofhouston.com. They're published the second Monday of every month. 
And that's it for the podcast. Remember, you can follow us online at Rice Kinder Inst. You can also follow our Urban Edge blog at kinderurbanedge.com. Uh, and of course, shoot us an email. Let us know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, what topics do you want covered, what sort of guests do you want on the show. My email address is urbanedge at rice.edu. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again.